Lord, we pause in your presence now to thank you for the ministry thus far. Thank you for the message and the songs that we've sung. Thank you for the effort of people who lead us in worship. We've come now to the solemnity of the moment that we open your word. We reverence your word. Your word is God-breathed and spirit-inspired. Holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. And I pray, God, this morning that for hungry hearts and hungry minds that the word of the Lord would be food for their hungry souls. Those, O Lord, that need answers, O Lord, to questions that are existing in their life and heart, I pray, God, that they will find those answers in the word of God this morning. For those, O Lord, that just simply need a drink from the fountain and feel the presence that accompanies the word of the Lord when preached, will experience that this morning. Touch me, O God, that my mouth would speak the word of the Lord, that which we have discussed in secret that you will reveal openly today and help me to remember the things that you've said for this occasion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. And everybody said amen. 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 I just kind of felt like praying a little bit there. That spirit of prayer sometimes comes upon me. You know there is a spirit of prayer. And you do know there's an anointing to pray. And it's wonderful, brother, when you get to that place, that praying in the Spirit and praying under the anointing and feel the freedom and the liberty to pray. That's a wonderful occasion when God does that for you. Sometimes praying is tough work. Sometimes praying is laborious. Sometimes praying is just plain hard to do. Amen. Sometimes when you pray, brother, it seems like the heavens are just open and you got your hands and your knees on the hands of the Father and you're just looking right into his face and oh, the joy of that experience. Other times it seems like you're in a brass cubicle and just words bouncing right back in your face and it's tough. And uh, sometimes you just say, well, I'll just try this another time. Yeah. Old timers used to have a have a, a slogan that they, they used. It was called praying through. Pray through. You ever heard that, Brother Ford? Have you ever preached about praying through? Many times. Praying through. That means they used to say, pray until you pray. That's another slogan they used. Pray. That real praying wasn't done until you really touched God and God touched you. Well, the title of sermons had nothing to do with praying today, but boy, that sure is a good, good line of thought, isn't it? Turn to Acts chapter 27. The Bible tells us that the uh, account of the Acts of the Apostles uh, is for us to know that the Holy Spirit coupled with our effort to reach out with the gospel and plant the gospel and expose Uh, different people groups to the gospel of the Lord Jesus is exciting work. It's evangelism at its best. The Apostle Paul is perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived. How many of you have ever read Fox's book of martyrs? One, two? Well, I need to get a stack of them up here and sell some books. You really need that one. That one is all about the people that gave their life for the testimony of their faith. The very first Christian martyr was a man named Stephen. It's recorded in God's Word that he withstood the counsel of the Pharisees and the scribes. 
And he said that they were stiff-necked and hard-hearted and that they always resisted the Holy Spirit. And, uh, of course, they were pricked in their heart, carried him out, and stoned him. He, and he became the very first martyr. There are others and others in the first century that were uh, widely known, Polycarp, uh, Thomas Aquinas later, the Bishop of uh, Canterbury, all of the great people, John Chrysostom and uh, Irenaeus and Ignatius and uh, Athanasius and all of those great personalities that preached the gospel in the first century. And uh, many of them gave their life. In fact, Polycarp, uh, when he was uh, burned at the stake, he said, I, I regret that I have but one life to give for the Lord Jesus. Nathan Hale said that later on about the revelation when, uh, revolution when he was killed for being a, a revolutionary. And uh, he quoted something like that when he said, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Amen. And uh, it was a martyr, a Christian martyr, that first put that phrase in the vogue. Amen. But we all, all need to realize that when we come to the Lord Jesus and we surrender our lives to him, it is like a crucifixion. It's like a martyrdom. It really is. In fact, the Bible says we have died to the former things and that the former things we are dead to those things. And the Bible said the person that we were is, is slain uh, together with Christ. And the Bible said, I am crucified with Christ. I, and the life that I now live, I live it by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that a great passage? Amen. The life I now live, this one right here applies to the life we now live. Amen. We live by the blessing and the contribution to our life of the Lord Jesus, by the faith of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Paul said, whose I am and who I serve. In fact, he said, I actually belong to him. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price and I'm paid for with the blood of Jesus. Therefore, I, I have nothing in this matter. I'm owned. And, and, he, and he said himself, he said, I consider myself a bond servant. A bond servant. I consider myself a bond slave of the Lord Jesus. The Greek, Greek word for that, that slave that he says he was a bond slave is doulos, a, a doulos. And they had a special marking in the ear lobe of those who were servants, but they were a, a certain kind of servants. A doulos is the kind of servant that uh, doesn't stay because he is bound there and bound with him. He stays because he loves his master. I said he stays because he loves his master. And Paul said, that's the kind of doulos that I am. I'm free to go anytime I want to go. I'm free to do anything I want to do, but I stay because I love my master. I stay in this Christian faith and stay in this Christian walk because he has made me free and given me freedom, but I stay because I love the Lord Jesus because he's the master of my life and the Lord of my life and he actually owns me and the life that I have given up, that I'm crucified with Christ, that life that I gave up, I have found in the Lord Jesus because he is the life and he is the resurrection and the life, amen. And any person that believes in him, though he were dead, yet he lives again. Praise God. 
That's worthy of a clap, I think. Amen. <laughs> worthy of a clap. Let's read about the most widely known person probably of the New Testament other than the Lord Jesus, and that is the, the Apostle Paul. And when it was determined that we should sail unto Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, who was a centurion of Augustus' band. You see, the apostle Paul had, had now identified himself as an apostle. An apostle is different from a disciple. A disciple is a follower of the Lord Jesus. An apostle means one who is sent. Apostle, that means one who is sent. When churches call themselves missionary, they put that uh, in there ba based upon that scripture and, and what uh, the apostles were called in the Acts of the Apostles. They all considered themselves sent. And in a nature, we are apostles today because the Lord hath sent us into the world to be uh, examples, to be light and salt, and to bring uh, Christian news to those who are lost and without the light. Amen. So Paul, as a leader of an apostolic group, now they're, they're kind of broken into two, two, two parts. One part is the group back at Jerusalem. And uh, they are more accustomed to Judaism. And their kind of Christianity is kind of blended together with some old things from Moses and some new things from Jesus and try to blend that. And in certain instances, they tried to impose some of the restraints of Mosaic law upon people who are now uh, Christians and have gathered together. Now, Gentiles really didn't have any problem with that. Gentiles were basically from a group that the Jews called barbarians and heathens. Yeah, when your mama called you a heathen when you misbehaved, that's what she had in mind. No order and no structure to you. <laughs> you better pay attention to the rules, in other words. But the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles as, as being, well, nothing much more than just an animal. Uh, uh, in fact, some of them used slurs against them and called, called them dogs. And it wouldn't even go through Samaria. In fact, they would go around it in a, in a way to get up to the Tiberias uh, region, northern Israel, they would go all the way out of their way and go around it rather than go through Jerusalem. But praise God, our Lord Jesus said, we must needs go through Jerusalem. Because he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, they became sons of God through the power that was given to them in the Lord Jesus. So the Apostle Paul was on his way preaching and he'd been arrested and had gotten in trouble in courts and, and he finally made a statement. He appealed to Caesar and he said on the basis that he was a Roman citizen. Now, Paul may or may not have been, but it was a, it was a reach, but he didn't have much else to go on. So he said he was a actual citizen of Rome, and in a sense he was. His Roman connection there, his name was Cognomen, was the family name, and uh, the particular name for the Apostle Paul was uh, Praenomen Cognomen. How about that? That's good for two names, isn't it? 
And many people felt like that was such an oddity and such a rare name to be given that it was probably a nickname. Now, you know what those two words put together mean? Small. Small. How about that? And in other words, his nickname was Tiny. Or Junior. Or whatever they designated for people that were short, not as tall as others. Small, not as big as the normal ones. And in fact, he was skinny and scrawny. And uh, amen for those of us who are increasingly become one of them. He was bald. Very bald. And in Jewish society, that was a little bit of something to, a uh, little, little, little bit of, little, you, you'd usually get a little elbow about that and get a little, little dig against you on that about the, the baldness. But I, I, I won't go any further with that because it might get too personal with some of you guys. But what I'm trying to tell you is the sensitivity of the culture in Judaism. And uh, they would jokingly call uh, people names. That that's just something that they did in Israel. And to this day, they do some of that. When I go over there, I see that some of the guides that I've had over the years and some of the instructors that have come, they uh, <clears throat> kind of think of lots of being Jewish. And if you're not Jewish, uh, they don't have a whole lot of uh, respect for you. I would just put it that way, including Americans. Amen. But I want to tell you this. Our great God made a choice, and he chose a people. And he said, I am going to bless you. And the Bible said, God said, whoever blesses you, I will bless. So I want to tell you, they may have had some, had some cultural problems, but God said he was going to bless them. And if he's going to bless them, he said, I'll bless you if you'll bless them. Amen. So we do everything we can to, to support Israel and do the things that we can to help them Amen, even though they may not think that much of us. And it is uh, ironic that their pilots teach our pilots. <laughs> when we were over there, I think Don was with us one time when the jets came flying through that valley of Megiddo where the battle of Armageddon is going to be fought one of these days. And uh, at, at one time there was a, a jet that flew across there that just kind of disappeared. And uh, we were standing in, in Megiddo on the city walls and looking out over the plain of Armageddon. And uh, that plain, and it actually just flew down to an opening and just disappeared. There was a runway that ran underground. And uh, you know who teaches our pilots how to get in those canyons and make those shots? The Israelis do. They are probably the best pilots in the world are the Israelis. And, and they're proud of it. I remember when we ascended up the hill there at uh, the Golan Heights and we were, uh, came to a pillbox and they had m machine guns that were, were in that pillbox. And uh, the guide, Moiti Kamovich, said to me, he said, Pastor, said, this is the pillbox that me and my men took during the Six Days War. I said, oh, really? He said, yes, sir, we took this one right here. Amen. Made me wanting to say, well, I took a pillbox here. I, if I did, I, amen. You can't compete with that. That's fantastic, isn't it? But the fact remains that they have a, 
uh, attitude of looking down. And Paul was probably one of those that was in that case. But listen to his credentials. He said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I don't have time to go into that and tell you what all of that means. But it means that he, was, he met every requirement of the highest standing other than his looks. Other than his looks, man, he was a, a fantastic person with great credentials. He had studied under one of the greatest doctors of law that had ever existed in that Dr. Gamaliel. And if you went to Dr. Gamaliel's school and sat at the feet of Dr. Gamaliel and heard the law discussed, you were probably the most informed person in Israel if, if you'd done those things. Paul was Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Amen. He was, he was everything that, that the culture demanded except he wasn't pretty to look at. He had an idea. I went to a church one time to, as an official to try to help them get through some difficulty, and I'll put it mildly like that. And this lady said, I'll tell you what, Brother Jerry, this church needs, they need the Apostle Paul to pastor here for a while. Had a kind of a little bit of an edge to her voice, and I, I said to her, I said, are you sure about that? Oh, yeah, he'd straighten out some of this stuff around here. I said, yes, ma'am, and I probably know where he'd start. <laughs> ah, that just slipped out. I'm sorry. I said, what kind of pastor are you wanting us to find to come here? And uh, she said, oh, we want one that's tall and good-looking and young and uh, debonair and uh, very articulate, got a great education. I thought of that poem one time about the perfect pastor, you know. He's uh, got one blue eye and one brown eye. You know, you get. <laughs> I finally said, I, I know where there is one like, uh, like that, but I said, but uh, he's got a real bad problem. I said, he's got an eye disease and his eyes run and he can't see very well. And he writes in large letters when he does write because he can't see the little letters. And uh, she said, oh, we don't want anybody like that. I said, well, that was the Apostle Paul that I described to you. And I said, he's a little bit short of stature also. And he, he's uh, bald and gets called names and ribbed about it. We don't want anybody like that. But if you could hear the man speak and you could be in his presence, you'd realize there was something about the Apostle Paul. He'd appeared in different courts. He'd been in Felix's court. This is long about 57 A.D., probably in spring or rather at least early summer of 57 A.D. And this is when 2 Corinthians was written. 2 Corinthians was written from Caesarea Philippi during this time. And during this time, as Paul is on his way to, to Rome to appear before Caesar, and God has got a destiny for his life. And God's got a purpose for his life. And he traveled over to Jerusalem to make a visit in Jerusalem with the Christians that were there to strengthen them and encourage them, made it back to Philippi where he wrote the book of Romans in long about 58 uh, A.D. And he was very busily going about 
about ministry. And this man was assigned to him, Cornelius. And it's not the Cornelius of Acts chapter 10, but he's an appointed person much like the Cornelius of, of chapter 10 was. He was a, a man, his name was Julius, and when he was allowed to, he would let Paul go and visit his friends in a city and entreat him, and knowing that Paul wasn't going to run because Paul said, God promised me that I'm going to preach in the presence of Caesar. I'm going to take the message. And if you read the Roman letter real close, you'll find out that the letter is addressed to the church there at Rome and to all the people of Caesar's own household. In other words, there were people in the palace of Caesar that believed the Christian faith, that received the testimony, praise God, and became Christians. Wow, you're not getting that. You'd say praise God for that. You mean God can even invade the territory of the people who hate hate the gospel message and hate the preaching of the cross and people getting saved right there in the palace of Caesar himself to they of the household of faith. The household of Caesar, he said, addressing the letter. Wow, that's fantastic that people who are actually a part of Caesar's own household are getting saved. But this centurion is under commission and he brings Paul to, to, to Felix and that's long about 59 and then he gets him to Festus and now we finally realize he's going all the way to Caesar. He gets to Agrippa and all of you know the psalm that's written about that episode. What is it? Oh, you'll remember when I tell you when he got before uh, King Agrippa he said to King Agrippa all the testimony of how he got saved on the road to Damascus and the light that shined down and the, the glow of the power of the Holy Spirit about his life and all those wonderful things. And you remember what he said? He rose from his seat. King Agrippa rose from his seat on the throne and said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Wow. Brother, what about that? Paul was thinking, if I can just get in this palace here and start preaching to some of these people, the Word of God works. The Word of God's got power. And people that may hate salvation and hate redemption now, once the Spirit of the Word of God touches their heart, there's something wonderful that will happen. And there'll be a transition in their life. And there'll be desire in their heart to know Jesus and love Jesus whom we preach. Wow. On his way, going to, I'll paraphrase this because I spent too much time about the prayer. When, he, when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan band. You'll have to move pretty quick with that. And entering into that ship of Adramithium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, by Mycenae in Asia is where that is. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian, that means a European, of Thessalonica being with us. Paul had some friends that were traveling with him on the way. And the next day we touched Sidon and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends and refresh himself. Next verse. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Wow, what we've got here now is a situation where the seasons have changed. Now, in the spring of 
that year of 59, uh, they had some southerly winds that, that blew and, and everything was uh, congruent to sailing good, but you had to get out of there and take advantage of those winds and not be a victim of the winds that were coming in October. Because when the season changed and the summer was gone and the spring winds and the good winds, the, the ones that helped you make it to the east toward where Italy is, uh, if you waited till that quit, you was in bad trouble. Bad trouble because they had storms and even those storms were named. And uh, one was named Euroclidon, which means a whirling broad wave. Now, when you think in our contemporary times, what do you think would be the uh, equivalent of that? A twisting, spinning, broad wave. Euroclidon actually means something else, and when I tell you to it, you'll understand. It means typhoon. So, wow, we've got a big whirling storm out here in the middle of the Mediterranean, and we've got this this centurion that's got a prisoner that he's trying to get to Rome because he's want to make sure he gets his commission and his order right. And, and Paul is saying, well, I'm not really worried about getting to Rome because God promised me I'm going. Now, I don't know what he's talked to you about. You've got to obey Caesar. And Caesar commissioned you, and Caesar told you that you, you, you make it to Rome and you bring me with you. So you can worry about that if you want to. I, I don't worry about it because God told me that I'm going to go and I'm going to preach to Caesar. I'm going my way to Rome, and there's nothing going to prevent that because God made me a promise. Anybody in this house been committed to the promise God gave you? I said, is there anybody in this house that's been committed to the promise God gave you? That God told you it's going to be thus and so, and you stopped worrying about it because you knew God will make it happen. Somebody say that with me. God will make it happen. One more time. God will make it happen. You ever known of a time when God made it happen? When God had a bigger scheme and God had a bigger idea and somehow you got kind of tangled up in the small idea and the small thing and couldn't get to the big thing? You remember my bicycle story? No? Lord, I need to print that thing out. We're going to have to hand it out. <laughs> Amen. Short rendition cliff note on it. I was asking God to give me some handlebar grips to put on my old wore-out bicycle. And my dad said no, and I got mad and pouted because he said no. Why am I not good enough to get a 75-cent handlebar grips that's in 1954. And my daddy said, no, go put that up. All the way home, I sniffed and snubbed and pouted because he wouldn't buy me something as little and insignificant and simple. I mean, it was an old bicycle I dragged out from under Sister Casey's floor. They discarded it and threw it away. 
and I drug it out and got the oil can and tightened the spokes up a little bit on it and got some air in some old tires and got it to where I could ride the stupid thing. Surely you can get me some handlebar grips. But no, you can't have that. And I'm sitting over there all mad at the world, you know. And so when we get back, I'm six years old, all right. I go down to my digging place where I dug and put my cars and my, my road graders and that kind of stuff, made them out of rocks and pieces of wood I found. And I saw a truck, Ricky, back up to the parsonage door there at Jacksonville over on West Francis Avenue. And I laid my... My mama used to call them my play purties. Play purties. <laughs> I laid them down, and I went up there to see what that truck was doing up there at that parsonage. And when I got up there, there was a bicycle sitting in the middle of the living room floor. And my dad said to me, he said, Son, I couldn't buy you handlebar grips because I was buying you a bicycle. You see, so many times you get angry with God because you don't see the big picture. He's doing something so much bigger than you could ever imagine, and you're pouting at him because of something small and insignificant when he's doing something so much bigger. Amen. What did Joseph say to his brothers? All that stuff you did to me, all, that, all those things in 17 years that I went through, of going through the prison and being lied on by Potiphar's wife and going through all of that, that persecution and all that, that being in jail. And, and, and every time he found himself in a bad situation, like being in prison and those kind of, and the Bible said, but God gave him favor. But God gave him favor. He was in prison. He had favor with the other prisoners. He was in prison. He had favor with the guards. He had, had favor with those that were in charge of things. Come on, somebody. And when he stood before his brothers and his brothers looked at him and, and uh, he'd have to go off in the other room, cry a little bit to come back out. And he said to him, you meant it to me for evil. But God, but God, but God, but God, but God, Minute for good. God. God did it. God changed it. God made it happen. Say it again. God made it happen. It happened because it was part of a big plan that God had. And boy, Paul had confidence that God was going to make it happen, so he just, he just kept his chin up knowing, I'm going to Rome I really, there's a storm out there. I don't know what's going to happen out there, but I'm going to Rome and I'll be there fine. Have you ever gone to sleep and slept good when something bad was looming out there, but you knew God and you knew the promise of God and you know that God is faithful to his word? Woo! Praise God. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, which is a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria that was sailing to Italy. Where is Alexandria? Egypt. You know what Egypt grows better than anything else in the world? Corn. And the whole world needed the corn that they bought from Egypt. And Egypt had set up this network of sending freight 
freight ships that haul freight, haul corn to all of these Greece and to all of these other areas in the Mediterranean. And therefore they had ports in places called Fair Haven and, and, and ports in, in places called Lycia and uh, ports in uh, Martinia. They, they just had them all over the Mediterranean and they were stations where the, the ships would come. And passengers, if you wanted to go somewhere, you'd get on one of those ships and sail with them because they were going just about everywhere. It was kind of like a Grand Central Station. Amen. So the Bible said, and the centurion found a ship. And, and it was from Alexandria. It was for Egypt. And it was sailing to Italy. Now, where's Paul going? Rome is where? We're going to Italy. He's in, getting in a ship going to Italy, and he put us therein. Next verse, please. And when we had sailed slowly many days, of course, I went back and read the Greek and found out that means they had traveled about th three weeks. And when we had traveled slowly, has ever you been believing the promise of God and it got slow? Have you ever been holding on to something God promised and things got slow? Three weeks they'd been sailing and, the, and scarce, that means with great difficulty in the Greek, with great difficulty, we came over against Snidus, and the wind not suffering us. In other words, the wind was blowing the wrong direction. Not so, we sailed under crate over against Salome, and hardly passing it, we came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, which is nigh under the city of Lycia. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, in other words, we missed our opportunity. How many of you know that opportunity is important? When you're talking about God and the Word of God and the power of God, the plan of God, opportunity is important. And the, you've heard me say it, you can almost quote it a bit. The opportunity of a lifetime is only available during the lifetime of the opportunity. Write that down. Faye, that's one of your notes. You better write that. Much time was spent. Sailing was now dangerous because the fast, in other words, this was on the day of atonement and they had fasted the day of atonement and because fast was now already past, Paul admonished them. And he said to them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with great hurt and much damage, not only of the least, the lading and the ship, but also our lives. What's going on here? The man of God is telling them we'd better not go on this trip. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong place. We're going to have a lot of hurt and a lot of harm if we go and do this. We're, we're, we're crazy for doing it. Don't do this. Don't, don't listen to anybody else, owner of the ship or captain or anybody else. I'm telling you as a man of God, don't go out there or we're going to be in peril. Now, how many of you know, well, we're voting a lot today, aren't we? How many of you know to trust what the man of God tells you the Lord says? The man of God said, I'm just telling you, this is my, but now very few folks listen to the advice of preachers nowadays. In this cancel culture, uh, we sometimes get canceled. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master 
and the owner of the ship. Well, it just boils down to who are you going to believe? God said, don't go. But the owner of the ship said, let's go. God said, don't go out there. It's, you're ill-advised if you do that. What happens to the owner of the ship? The ownership said, we're going more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because we have, was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means the, we might attain unto Phineas and their winter, which is an haven of crate and life toward the southwest and northwest. In other words, it was on the leeward. Hey, you're going to get my duel of a captain right here. On the leeward side. You didn't know that the left hand is the leeward side? In other words, it's the side where the wind is blocked off of you because of the land mass is preventing the wind from blowing and you've got kind of a reprieve there for a while. You can ride close to the coastline and the wind's not nearly as severe. So we got a good captain. He's following. God said, don't go, but he said, I'm going to try it anyway. And when the south wind blew softly, Looked like everything's going to be all right, supposing they had obtained their purpose. Think, hey, boys, we got it, got it, baby. I told you not to listen to that man of God. I told you don't, don't pay any attention to that. You see how sweet and calm it is now. Wind's out of the south. We've got this thing made. Loosing thence, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called a Eurocodon. Next verse. And when the ship was caught, what does that mean? When the ship reached a place that there was no turning back and there was no safe place to be, we're in trouble. We're caught. How many people get caught because they don't listen to what God says? How many people hear the sermon, but walk out the door saying, I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to do this my way. Come on, somebody. And suddenly you find yourself caught. Caught when the ship was caught and could not bear up. I love that, the Greek right there. It says, could not look the storm in the eye. Could not look the storm in the eye. And when the the people, the men, could not bear up into the wind. We let her drive. In other words, they loosed the ropes of the moorings and let the ship just, they took the rudder of the ship and they pulled the rudder up and took the ropes and lashed it to the, to the boat and took the rudder up and just whichever way the wind was blowing, it carried them. How many people do you know that live their lives like that? whichever way the wind is blowing. Where are you going in life? Well, I don't know. What, what, what you feel like is the purpose of your life? Well, I, I really don't know. Well, what are you going to do with your life? Or what are you, I hadn't given it a whole lot of thought. Well, what are you going to do then? I'm just, whatever happens, it'll happen, preacher. You need to live a purposeful life. Listening to Romans 8, 28, all things, say it with me, all things work together for good to them 
love the Lord who are the called according to his purpose. You mean God wants us to live like we've got a purpose? Yeah. You mean God wants us to live with intentional activities that we do because we are who we are and we have a responsibility with who we have a responsibility to. We're accountable to God. Come on, somebody. And we live like that because that's a purpose in our lives. We can't live our lives just blown about and believing every doctrine the Bible said. You, you, you've read that? That every doctrine that's blown by the wind. Hmm. We had much work to come by the boat. In other words, we had a lot of work to do to that, that, that boat. Next verse. I'm hurrying, I promise. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. Next verse. Which when they had taken up, they used helps. under That's called fragging. F-R-A-G-G-I-N-G. Fragging. In other words, they took boats. It was leaking. Now, brother, it's bad enough to be in a storm, but when you're in a storm with a leaking boat, you got two strikes against you. And God help you if you get a third. They used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into quicksands. Near these areas were these islands out there in the, that part of the Mediterranean, and one of the fearful things was to get caught on one of those sandbars and into the quicksands. Fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, they strake sail. That means they took the tackle down of the ship and strake sail. In other words, it would become so top-heavy. And they, they said, we better get that stuff down. We're going to, the wind's going to blow us over into the water. Fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so we're driven. And we being exceedingly tossed, now, it would have been enough for mine's, my mind's eye to just hear we were tossed in the tempest. But he said, we were exceedingly tossed with a tempest. And the next day, they lightened the ship. Well, what happened is the prisoners all started working and throwing corn overboard. Now, somebody's losing some money now, aren't they? Freight ship or not. And the third day we cast out with our own hands. They even got us prisoners involved in taking down the tackle of the ship. Now to us, that would, that would mean sail and, and, uh, and a few uh, posts. And what this meant was everything that was on that ship except what the ship was itself. In other words, beds, furniture, everything else that was on that boat, they threw it overboard. Wow. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, can anybody say all hope? All hope that we should be saved was taken away. Now that's despair, isn't it? That is utter despair. No hope. Any hope that we had of making it through this storm was taken away. And we were left with no hope, no strategy, no answer, no plan, listen to this, and no compass. Well, the compass wasn't even invented at that time. So what did they do for navigation? Look at the stars and look at the sun. But suddenly, the sun and the stars 
The Bible said they had not seen the stars in 14 days. It's been two weeks. They haven't got a clue where they are because they can't see the stars and they can't see the sun. They don't really know where they are and don't know where they're going. And they sat down with no hope. Wow. Boy, it got quiet all of a sudden, didn't it? Because some of you are remembering sometimes maybe in your life when it worked just like that. When you really didn't know where you were and didn't know where, where you were going. In fact, you might just use that old bad word, lost. You were just lost at sea. Lost at sea. After long abstinence, in other words, good minute, Paul stood up. God still got some children. Glory to God. Aren't they all blessed? Aren't those 276 people that were on that boat blessed to have one Pentecostal preacher on board that ship? Oh, I'll tell you, somebody ought to praise God that you got a preacher. Hey, man, you got a preacher that'll tell you where you are when you don't know where you are. When you don't know where you're going, you got a man that'll preach the Word of God. It'll let you know where you're going. Hallelujah. It'll replace all that despair and that no hope and no answer. It'll replace all of that with an answer. Because God will never leave you forsaken and God will never take his hand off of you. The Bible said, he said, I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. He'll go with you through the storm. He'll go with you through the fire. He'll go with you through the flood. Whatever life may bring your way, our heavenly Father will take care of you and stand by you and strengthen you and bring you through it. He'll bring you through it. After long abstinence, Paul stood forth and he said, Sirs, you should have listened to me. You should have listened to me. You should have listened to me and not loose from great and have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you. Let me preach a sermon to you, he said. Let me get my exhorter's credential out. And let me preach. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Are you kidding me, preacher? You gotta be kidding me. Be of good cheer. Have you been asleep? Do you not know where we are and what we're going through? Sit down here if you've got a couple of hours. I'd love to tell you what I've been going through what I've been up against, what I've had, the way people have treated me, the way they've talked about me, the way they've put these chains on me, had me in bondage and taking me to Rome now. I don't know what's going to happen. It's about as bad as it can be. Paul said, let me exhort. Let me preach a little bit. First thing, take that old frown off of your face. First thing, put a smile on your face. Praise God, I'm fixed to preach to you, and I want to preach to you with a smile on your face. Be of good cheer, for there shall no loss. Somebody say no loss. No. There shall no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Wait a minute. 
You're telling me the one thing I'm hanging on to and clinging to is going to be burst upon the shoreline and the rocks are going to tear it up and I won't have my safety net anymore? You mean the one thing I'm relying upon most to save my hide? The one thing I'm depending on most to guarantee that I'll make it? You're telling me that's going to be destroyed, but I'm going to be all right? How in the world could I be all right? In the middle of a hurricane and about to go shipwreck, and you're telling me, not just a few of us, but the whole 276 of us are going to be all right. Sometimes those Pentecostal preachers sound pretty crazy, don't they? Sometimes you kind of turn your nose up and say, Oh, Lord, what, what, what in the world's wrong with our preacher? The preacher said, Everything's going to be all right because, let's read it together. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and who I serve. Anybody in this house know who you are? A child of God? I said anybody in this house know whose you are? You belong to God. You belong to our Heavenly Father. Can you read the Word of God and realize He says to you, you are His servant, you are His child, and there stood this night the angel of God whose I am and who I serve. Well, what did He say? Read it with me now. You ready? Next verse. Saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. Woo. What I promised you, I haven't forgotten. Thou must appear before Caesar, and lo, read it with me, God hath given thee all of them that sail with thee. Not only are you going to be all right, not only are you going to fulfill the promise God made you, not only are you going to realize the faithfulness of God, but all of these guys that are with you. I would love to know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says, about those 276. I kind of imagine that once they got off of that boat and got back in culture and got back in their family and got back in their hometown, I'd say every time you met one of them, and say, let me tell you a story about what something God did for me. I'd say every one of them became evangelist. I'd say every one of them became a preacher. I'd say every one of them started telling somebody, let me tell you where, where I was and what was going on when God found me. Let me tell you what happened in my life when God came along and delivered me from the violence of the storm. Let me tell you when it looked like that all hope was lost and when it looked like that I didn't have hope but I didn't have a chance. God sent his angel and told me that everything's going to be all right. 
and not just me, but all of those guys that traveled with me. Hallelujah. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Why should we be of good cheer then, Paul? For I believe God. Would you say that again with me? For I believe God. Lord of mercy. And I will stand with you. And I will strengthen you. With my right hand, I will uphold you. I will never leave you as I have promised. You are my choice possession. And you are the people of my hand. And I have redeemed you. And I have set you apart as a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. Fear not the storms and fear not the battles and fear not the danger. For I, the Lord, am with you. Cast all of your care upon me because I, your God, care for you. Would you give him a hand clap of praise and thank him this morning for his marvelous presence among us. Come on, Olivia. Wherefore, I'm glad that wherefore is there. Wherefore, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be, even as it was told unto me. What the angel said, it's true, and I believe it. Next verse, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island, a certain island. Well, you've given us names, and you've given us nautical points, and you've given us uh, port names, and city names, and, and provincial names, and personalities, and then you just say, a certain island. A no-name island. One that's just there, just out in the middle of the Mediterranean. How did that thing get to be there? Just a certain island. It's not even given a nautical name. We don't even have any, any kind of latitude, longitude. We have no idea where this thing is. Just a certain island. On that day when the Lord used his finger to mark the boundaries of the water and the land, he found a little spot out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And he circled that little spot and said, I believe we'll put an island right there. Because about 6,000 years from now, one of my servants is going to be sailing. And the storm is going to be raging. And their ship's going to fall apart. So I'm going to need this little island right out here to take care of that situation when it comes. Lord, there ought to be somebody in the aisle. Glory to God, you mean before time really was, God knew was going to need an island out there in the middle of that Mediterranean? 
You mean when he was shaping and forming the earth and putting everything in its boundaries and putting everywhere according to his will, he put a little speck out there in the middle of the Mediterranean and said, here's a place where a miracle's going to take place. Right here's where a need's going to be supplied. Right here's where I'm going to keep my promise and I'm going to prove my faithfulness because I'm going to need this little island. There's about 276 fellows that's going to shipwreck on this thing. Glory to God. Not a one of them is going to be lost because I promised Paul he'd preach in Rome. And what I promise, I always keep. And he's going to be in presence of Julius Caesar. And he's going to tell him, this is the gospel. This is the news about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. And he's appointed me, his minister, to come and tell you about it. Glory to God. If you've got a purpose in your life, if you've got a life, that you're living according to the Word of God. I want to tell you, the Lord's already taken care of your future. He's already taken care of your needs. Steve, he knows what you need next week. He knows what Jeff Wilson needs today. He knows what, what Daphne needs today. He knows what folks that are in their storm right now. And they may have reached that place of almost total despair. But God specializes in things that are thought impossible. When folks would sit back and say, it's impossible, it's too late. There's no need to try. There's no use to, to go on. God specializes in those kind of situations. He'll do for you what no other power can do. I said, he'll do for you what no other power can do. Praise our God. Blessed be his name. Pastor, what happened? Let's read it and we'll be way through. One more verse. But when the 14th night was come, 14 days with no moon, no stars, no sky, no sun, just darkness. Boy, wouldn't that be something to go through 14 days of darkness? I love it when the sun comes up, don't you, brother? 14 nights, and as we were driven up and down in Adria, we were just kind of drifting along about midnight. Have you ever looked in the Bible at how many things have happened at midnight? At midnight, Paul and Silas sang praises unto God. Oh, you don't get me going on midnight. But when midnight, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. Said, hey, they were letting their pole down in the fathoms. The number was getting smaller. In other words, it's not as deep as it was last time we tried this. Listen to it. Next verse found it and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they'd go a little further, they sounded it and found it 15 fathoms. What's going on, preacher? It's getting more shallow. We must be coming up on some land. We thought we would never see land again. We thought we'd go down to a watery grave. And fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. They threw the anchors out and said, buddy, I sure wish that sun would come up. Let's go. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, they were about to jump out in the, in the sea. Listen to this. I've pastored some folks like that. Have to grab them, grab them by the belt buckle to hold on to them. Hey, stay on board. As the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under cover, 
as though it says color, but it's actually cover, as though they would have cast anchors. In other words, they were sneaking out. Don't you ever sneak out on the promise of God. Don't you ever find you a place to slip out somewhere. Come on, somebody. You ever seen anybody slip out incognito? Come on. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, hey, except these abide in the ship, we're not going to make it. You better get these boys out of that lifeboat and get them back on this ship because we're going to be saved if we all stay on board. We can't jump ship. Boy, I'm preaching a whole lot better than y'all are shouting. And then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, hey, sun's coming up. While the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to eat something, guys. This is the day. This is the 14th day. I need to preach on 14th day. The 14th day that you've tarried and continued fasting and taken nothing. One more. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat. Eat you some victuals, boys, for this is for your health. For there shall not a hair. Where's my not a, not a hair partner? There she is sitting right over there. Not a hair. I preached a sermon one time where not a hair on your head will be seen. Not a hair would fall. Here's another not a hair. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat this day. There shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. You know why I, I think Paul particularly enjoyed that? You know why? Because he didn't have any hair. And he said, all you folks that have got hair, you need to rejoice and praise God because not a hair is going to be lost. <laughs> not a hair off of any head of any of you. Next one, please. Wherefore, I pray you, when he had thus spoken, he took bread, gave thanks to God, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then, then were all of them of good cheer, and they also took some meat. Well, praise God, when I eat, I laugh too, don't you? And we were in all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls. A little faster, honey. And when they had eaten enough, I wonder when enough's enough. Depends on where you are, isn't it? When they had eaten enough, for some of you that's quite a bit, had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea, corn and wheat. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek that had a shore into which they were minded if it were possible to thrust the ship. Next verse. And when they'd taken up the anchors, they committed themselves to the sea and loosed the rudder bands, hoisted the mainsail to the wind, and made toward shore. I like that, made toward shore. And falling into a place that two seas meet, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from the purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves fast 
first into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. Whatever you can grab hold of. Some on the broken pieces of the ship. Why am I going to need a, a piece of that storm that I went through, Brother Jerry? So you'll be reminded next time you sail into a storm to trust God. And they grabbed a piece of the plank and a piece of the ship, and the Bible said they, they and it came so to pass that they escaped all. Escaped all. And what happened to Paul? God kept his word, and Paul preached in the court of Caesar. If God's given you a promise, don't slip out, don't sneak out, don't lose hope, don't lose faith and despair. Keep believing in what you know is true. Keep believing. You know the Lord will see you through when troubles come in your life and you don't know what to do. You'll be fine if you'll just keep believing. You just keep believing. I'm believing today that God answers prayer. I'm going to come back here where she is. Jeff Wilson needs a touch of God today. Jeff Wilson needs a miracle from God today. Today. He's on his way over to UAB now. They're taking him over there. But I believe our God, our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we are able to think or ask. He can do more. Somebody say, He can do more. More than I could ask for. He can do more. He can do more. I'm going to pray for Elaine. She's going to stand in for Jeff. You believe God can do this? You believe God can do this? I believe God can do this. I believe God can do this. Oh, I need some people close by me that believe God can do this. Is there anybody believe God can do this? God whose I am, God who I serve, I come to you, O oh God, this morning humbly and gratefully. And I come with a request, God, and I come with burden and care. And you said in your word for us to cast our burden and our care upon you because you care. God, in Jesus' name, you said for us in your word to call upon you in the day of trouble. And you said, I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Your word said, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay their hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Your word says, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. God, in obedience to your word right now, 
I've preached today that you are true to your word. I've preached today that you're faithful. I've preached today that we can trust you. God, Jeff needs a miracle today. And I ask you, God, to stretch forth your hand to him. God, move, O oh Lord. Touch him. I rebuke that spirit of infirmity that has come against him. And I rebuke that cancer that has come against him. And I know, oh God, your word said that I couldn't ask or pray for anything but what you could do so much more. And Lord, I ask you to go right now to where he is. And I ask you to stretch forth your mighty hand. You said with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, you delivered. God, would you let that mighty hand of deliverance today touch Jeff Wilson. He loves you, God. He's trusting you. We're believing you. God, do what you do for your people. You said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would do this. In Jesus' name. That name that above all others, you said in John's gospel, if I ask anything in your name, you said I will do it. God, do this for your people. Do it for Daphne and do it for Jeff, God. We pray in that name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Praise your name, Jesus. Remain standing. Help me pray this morning. God, I come to you right now. This mother has a daughter that needs a touch of God. And I know that your power is sufficient. I feel your power. I feel your presence. I know of your nearness. And I know of your abiding presence and faithfulness. And Lord, our request is that you touch kidneys that won't function and kidneys that won't work. God, I pray that you'd touch that need and God minister to that need. Let your power, your healing power, the healing virtue of the Lord Jesus flow into her body right now, Father, in that powerful and strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done for my wonderful brother. I thank you for the way you've touched him, God, and blessed him and helped him, spared him, O oh Lord Jesus. I, I thank you for him, and I ask you to keep your hand upon him, God, and help him to continue gaining strength and recover in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Don, would you come down here and let's pray for Roger. Roger is another who needs a miracle. Amen. Not just Roger. Gail needs a miracle too. Yes, she does. They're both very, very sick people. Right. They really need the hand of God. Yes. Father, in Jesus' Amen. name, I lay my hands Lord upon Don Maddox God, and standing Lord. in for Roger Borders. God, Roger has loved you and served you for many years. 
He's used his talents here in this church to be a blessing. Today he's lying in a bed incapacitated, unable to move. But God, I know that your power, your grace, your strength is able, Lord, to touch him, minister to him. Let great grace, O oh Lord, flow into his body and touch him and heal him by your wonderful, wonderful Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the living God, flow into his body and heal him, God. I rebuke that illness and I rebuke that sickness. I rebuke that neuropathy and I rebuke those autoimmune diseases. God, in Jesus' name, give him deliverance and healing through the power of our omnipotent God. Amen and amen and amen and amen. And everybody in this house gave praise and glory to God. 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 Praise and glory unto God. Can I pray for you for Marie Motes? God, Marie Motes is lying today, oh Lord. The prognosis is not good, and man and doctors are saying that there's no hope. But we know, God, that you are a God who heals. Eric is holding on to your promise, God, and he's believing that you will heal his mother. And I just pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you will let the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit touch Marie's body. God, that brain tumor that has brought her, O oh Lord, so much difficulty and harm and threatens to take her life. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would rebuke that spirit of sickness and that spirit of infirmity. And I pray, God, that you'd go in that room where she is right now and let the great grace of your healing power, the wonderful power of your presence, God, right now in Jesus' name, heal her. Relieve her, O oh God, of this sickness in the powerful, strong, and mighty, righteous, and holy, sovereign name of the Lord Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, God. Somebody say praise the Lord. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Is Sheila still back there? Did she have to leave? She's already gone. Let's pray for Sheila. She had to leave. She was probably hurting so bad. She has arthritis so bad she can't hardly move. God, in Jesus' name, I pray for Sheila Roberts. Lord, you know her life, and she's been raised here in this church all of her life. God, I pray that right now, in Jesus' name, that you'd stretch forth your healing to her. God, you died on Calvary's cross, and your back was striped for our healing. Your word says, by your stripes we're healed. The chastisement of our peace was upon you, and with your stripes we're healed. God, I pray that you'd wrap your arms around her and let her feel your presence and know that she is important, that she matters to you. Oh, God, the devil has really beat her up emotionally and physically as well. And I just pray, God, that you would give her a deliverance right now and that she would recover her normal health and that she would be a recuperative person, that she'd re receive that healing and that strength that comes through your touch. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Anybody in this house need a touch of God? Stretch your hands right this direction. Not that there's anything in me whatsoever except God. God, we preached this morning that you made it happen. There are some people that are under the sound of my voice that are in this room that have been going through storms. You told me they would be here. You told me there would be people that would be here. When I wrote that note on my notes that said, no hope and despair, they lost all hope. Lord, you told me there'd be some people in the service this morning that have lost all hope. And God, I'm standing here in this altar area and I'm praying for them right now, God, that they would get a grip, get a grip on their faith and hang on to God. Don't doubt the promise of God, but be of good cheer, as Paul said. Don't let that despair, that no hope attitude ruin your life. But in Jesus' name, take hold of the Word of God in one hand and take hold of the hand of our Heavenly Father in the other and believe Him for a miracle, for a touch of God for your life. There are folks sitting here, Lord, that think that there's no reason to go on, that all is lost and there's no hope. God, in Jesus' name, help them to get that out of their mind and know that with God all things are possible. Know that with God all things are possible. Oh, I thank you, God, for the promise that you gave us, that you'd never leave us, you'd never forsake us. You would always finish the work that you started in us. Lord, you can make it happen today for people in this service. May this day, this day, right now, or this hour, that they would come to the place in their walk with you, God, that they would say, no matter what, I'm going to trust in God. No matter what. I'm going to believe his word. No matter what, I'm going to be saved by his shed blood. No matter what, I'm going to walk in his path. And no matter what, I'm going to declare his name. And goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Bless your name, Jesus. Could you for about 30 seconds give God the best praise you've got? Come on, make these rafters in this building vibrate with our praise. Oh, yes, mighty God, we praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We give you honor and glory in this house. Let all the earth praise him. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Lift your voice, O ye his people, and clap your hands, O ye his saints, and rejoice in the Lord, the God of our salvation, for he hath done great things, and he hath done mighty things. He is the God of all the universe. He is the God of your life. He's the God of your marriage. He's the God of your business. He's the God of your children. He's the God of your health. In Jesus' name, let God be God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless your name, Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. May the blood of Jesus, the grace of Calvary, all is in God's word. Every promise be yours in Jesus' name. Bless your people, Lord, as we depart from this place of worship. 
And may we live this week, O oh Lord, under the auspices of the Spirit's direction and His great care. That's our prayer in departing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Shake hands and be friendly. Be friendly whether you shake hands or not. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today. What am I?